Acts chapter 2 records the most wonderful event, the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church at Pentecost. There once was a time, as I said last week and the week before, that when the Holy Spirit used to only come upon particular people for a particular purpose. Uh, But at Pentecost, all that changed. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the whole church. And Peter explained to the crowds what was going on and he told them, now we are living in the last days. Now, we, we don't know when the last days are going to finish. Um, we know that they end when Jesus returns and nobody knows what that day is. But we are living in the last days. And in this period of history called the last days, the Lord fills his disciples, ordinary people, with his Holy Spirit. Now, when you think of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, what do you think of? Now, often, some of us, we might just think of the super spiritual happenings and the very wonderful gifts and signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. And to be quite frank, some people are actually a little bit scared away by that. Here's the Holy Spirit doing something, bringing something supernatural into our very natural and ordinary world. And some people get a little bit frightened away by that. But then others of us, we might look at this longing, what happened, and start to feel, well, I've asked God for the Holy Spirit, but maybe he hasn't filled me with the Holy Spirit because I can't do any of these really amazing things. And so, if this is you, uh, today's reading is actually pretty important for us. Because it gives us a glimpse of the characteristics of the, whole, of the spirit-filled life. And you may be surprised to discover that, hey, that, the Holy Spirit actually is in me. Um, I've asked for the Holy Spirit and God actually has given me the Holy Spirit. Or you may be surprised to discover that, oh, some of these super spiritual people actually aren't displaying some of the um, characteristics of a spirit-filled life. Acts chapter 2 is describing the heady days of the church of Jesus Christ bursting into life with all of the excitement and love and miracles and signs and wonders and thousands of conversions happening in a day. The fellowship of the believers, a a common purpose. It's a picture of the spirit-filled church in full flight. And ever since then, Christians throughout history have read this second chapter of Acts and have longed for these same exciting times. I know I have. Has anybody else here read these things and just longed to to see the same excitement in our church today? I'm seeing a few nodding heads. Yeah. But have we really? That's what I'm really getting at today. Have we really been longing for this? We long for excitement. Um, Lots of us long for excitement. The resources of a megachurch can generate excitement. The professional programs, world-class concert quality music every Sunday, really good speakers. Um, Some churches provide great excitement. And wow, don't they attract the numbers? We crave signs and wonders. That's why blokes like Benny Hinn are so popular and attract millions of followers in TV land. We crave community. In in a world that's becoming increasingly interconnected with media and social networks, it might be surprising that loneliness is one of the biggest problems in the world today. Um, Because there is one thing that remains. Most people still crave community. 
something that I've noticed just in the last, probably in the last 12 months, um, any youth organisations that are trying to project a cool image somehow try to work the word tribe, either into their name or into their activities. They, they use the word tribe. Why? Because young people are looking for community. Young people are looking for a tribe. They want to belong to a group. They crave community and tribe is a cool way of saying it. We long for these things. But do we really long to experience them in the same way that the early church experienced them? The early church experienced these things as a part of its spirit-filled life. They weren't programs, they weren't generated through excellence in church staff or church management. They were the experience of a spirit-filled life. Okay, so the guts of what we're looking at today is what are the characteristics of a spirit-filled life? Or for that matter, a spirit-filled church. Because we all know the church is just a bunch of disciples of Christ who meet together. So that the spirit-filled Disciples become together the spirit-filled church. Well, the first characteristic is a hunger for God's word. But even more than that, it's a hunger for what I'm calling apostolic teaching. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the Greek word that our Bibles translate as devoted means a constancy or filled with purpose. When someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they have a desire to constantly receive good teaching. And if at first they don't understand what's being said, they don't just give it up. up. They're devoted to it. They devote themselves to receiving the teaching that the apostles gave. Being filled with the Holy Spirit produces a hunger for God's word. You'll want to read your Bible. You'll want to get together with other Christians to study God's word together. And it won't just be a one-off event. It's not just going to be, right, I've had my learning experience now. I now know everything. I'm now a mature Christian. I don't need to do any more learning anymore. They are devoted to it. And it's an ongoing thing where we just crave God's word more and more. And it seems the more of God's word that we get, the more we want to hear it more. And it's not just any kind of teaching, the spirit-filled life craves apostolic teaching. The flesh craves fleshly teaching. The spirit craves spiritual teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And I'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Right? That's the flesh craving fleshly teaching. But the spirit-filled life doesn't crave this fleshly teaching. The spirit-filled life craves the teachings of the apostles. But where can we get that now? Where do we get the teaching of the apostles now? I mean, they're dead. They're long dead. They're gone. I, I can't just subscribe to their podcast, go onto iTunes and look up Apostles Teaching um, and um, download it onto my iPhone so I can listen to it when I travel. We can't do that. Where do I find the Apostles Teaching? 
It's not a trick question. Two. In in the Bible. Cool. I'm glad our Sunday school teacher knows that. (laughs) The apostles taught what the apostles taught is right there in the Bible. You read the New Testament and you'll find the apostolic teaching. And don't think that the Old Testament's irrelevant uh, because they will be bringing the Old Testament teaching in and showing how Christ was even foretold in the Old Testament. Sadly, in many churches today, much teaching, although popular, is certainly not what the apostles taught. Liberal churches may teach a, a social gospel where you don't repent of sin, You just do good stuff or more commonly we stand for good stuff and we expect the politicians to do it on our behalf. Some people that I've come across consider themselves more academic and scientific and they may take it further to what's called the progressive theology and I'm not sure what they do believe but I can certainly tell you what they don't believe. They teach that God did not create the world, Jesus was not born of a virgin, Jesus did not rise from the dead, Jesus died but not for our sins because They said God would never do that to his son. And basically they strip away everything that's supernatural and powerful about God. And I'm actually left wondering why they even call themselves Christian because there's absolutely nothing Christian about what they teach. And then in some other churches you'll get more of a self-help type teaching where Bible verses are an optional extra used sometimes to Christianise a basically humanistic or psychological message. In fact, the largest church in the United States is a very good example of this. 43,500 people go to this church, Joel Joel Osteen's church in Houston, Texas, uh, plus those who see it internationally on the television. And he says, I just want to lift people up. And his message is entirely motivational. Be the best that you can be. Visualise yourself how you want to be. Just picture that and that's how you will become. It's all about positive thinking and absolutely not the teaching of the apostles. He shies away from anything to do with repentance of sin and instead he appeals to a culture who are caught up in materialism and a desire for personal success. But it's immensely popular. The sign of a spirit-filled church is a church who are dedicated to receiving apostolic teaching. Kids' stories are great. Thank you, Heather. But I've heard people say in the past, I get more out of the kids' story than I get out of the sermon. And that makes me really sad. It makes me sad because... Uh, that, that statement tells me that either the preacher needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit and start teaching what the apostles taught or the listener needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit so they'll actually begin to crave and consistently seek good biblical teaching. The spirit-filled life will not just be content with the kid's story. They're great to have kid's stories but the spirit-filled life will not be content with that. You'll need more. You'll crave more. So how do we identify apostolic teaching? Well, 
it's not from somebody who claims to be an apostle, let me say that, because the apostles are gone and we don't have apostles anymore. I've already told you it's what the apostles taught. So when a Bible teacher teaches straight from the Bible and what the Bible is clearly saying without trying to twist it all up, that's apostolic teaching. And one thing that I've noticed as I've read the New Testament is the apostles themselves always pointed people away from themselves, away from the preacher's self and away from the listener's self and pointed them towards Christ. And so apostolic teaching is also a Christ-centred teaching. And that's what they craved. The second characteristic is they didn't only devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, they also devoted themselves to what the Greeks called koinonia. Our Bible's translated as fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship, to koinonia. What is that? An elderly couple went to McDonald's and they bought themselves one burger, a small chips and a drink. And they found themselves a seat and they sat down and they carefully cut the burger in two. They divvied up the chips. And a man at the table next door to them looks across and sees this happening and and he felt pretty bad for them and so he offered to buy the wife her own meal. Oh no, it's all right, the wife said. We share everything. A few minutes later, the man noticed that the lady hasn't taken a single bite. Look, I really don't mind buying you guys another meal, he says. No, no, it's all right. We share everything. Please, I don't mind. I I just hate to see you sitting there not eating. Oh, she'll eat, the husband assured him. We share everything. Unconvinced, the man begs, Please let me buy you something. Why aren't you eating? To which she replied, We share everything. I'm just waiting for him to finish with the teeth. Koinonia is translated... Somebody's only just gotten it. Koinonia is translated as fellowship. But in the Gospels, Koinonia expresses more than just fellowship. It's about a unanimity, it's about a unity in the Spirit. What that means is we're brought together, we're together in this. There is a unity in what they believe, there's a unity of purpose, a unity of calling, and it's a sharing. It's a sharing in possessions, it's a sharing in life, it's a sharing in the deepest emotions, it's a sharing in the deepest parts of your life. It's just this togetherness. Fellowship is much, much deeper than friendship. We all crave deep friendships, but I'm telling you today, fellowship is deeper than friendship. It can take a long, long time to develop a good friendship. But you know how long it takes to develop a good fellowship? Just like that sometimes. A Christian can visit another church in in a different town or a different country 
And when a spirit-filled Christian meets another spirit-filled Christian, you've got this instant fellowship that there's something in common. It's, it's like a brother meeting a brother or a sister meeting a sister or a sister meeting a brother. Maybe you haven't seen them for a long lot of years, but you've got this tie. You've got this thing that unites us. I know I hate moving and um, you'd wonder why when, when I've done it so many times in the last couple of years. Uh, but when I, whenever I've had to move to another town, how many times have I been going to India, to Dolby, Dolby, to Brisbane, Brisbane, here. I've moved three t- times in my life. Now, I have just really appreciated when I've moved to another town having instant fellowship. I just turn up there and the first Sunday I go along to a church and there's my family. There's my support network. There's those who love me. There are those who are going to pray for me. There are those who say, come to my place for lunch, even though I've never met them before. There are those who do anything to help me. They're the church. And this is fellowship that I'm describing. And I know just how out of place it has felt. Um, I, can't, I can't help but think of the opposite of that. When we went to the US, um, we tried to ensure that on a Sunday we'd be in a small country town somewhere so we'd go to church, to a small little church and I was expecting this fellowship and the only person who talked to us in any of the free churches was the minister and even then we knew it was out of his duty and we instantly knew when we were dismissed because he'd given us the allotted three minutes or whatever it was to talk to us we were dismissed and was gone and it was just really sad because there was not that fellowship. And it was just wrong. And they were devoted to fellowship. When a church is filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be fellowship. More than friendship, fellowship. A bond of sharing in life and ministry and upholding one another. Third characteristic of a spirit-filled life is communion. Verse 42 says, they are devoted to the breaking of bread. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, communion is not an empty, meaningless act. Communion is an act of fellowship. Communing with your brothers and sisters in Christ and communing with Christ himself. When the Holy Spirit has filled you, communion is not just a religious duty, it's an essential part of our togetherness, of our fellowship, as we join in the breaking of bread. And it's not just something you do as a religious thing when you go to church. Uh, I might uh, offend a few people, but you can actually do communion when you have somebody over to your home. You can share communion together. Break some bread and, and together with you and your guests say, Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. You can pour some wine and say, we thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for us. Communion isn't just a religious act. It's something that you can do together. And they're devoted to it. The fourth characteristic is they were devoted to prayer. Verse 42 says they are devoted to the prayers. 
Now that tells me that it was more than just personal prayer. Yes, they had personal prayer, but they also got together to pray and it was probably also included the set daily prayers at the temple because they were meeting at the temple daily. And that's the thing, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, even written prayers, prayers that maybe you once used to think were, were dry and wooden and you know, that, that was written a hundred years ago, it's just irrelevant today. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden even these prayers take on a whole new life and beauty and, and suddenly even these prayers mean something to you. As you begin to pray them from your heart instead of just doing it, mouthing empty words. Last night we actually had, had dinner with someone and, and, uh, and this lady told us how you know, when she first became a Christian, uh, she used to be part of the Anglican Church, and when she first became a Christian, um, she sort of wondered, why wasn't I told all this in the, in the Anglican Church? Why not? But then next time she went to the Anglican Church and read through the little prayer book and, oh, it is actually here. But it, all of a sudden it meant something to her. Back then she, she knew it off by heart. But it wasn't from the heart. It was just empty words. And that's the difference that a spirit-filled life brings. The fifth characteristic of a spirit-filled church is the presence of signs and wonders. Now, I want you to note here, not everybody were doing these signs and wonders. Verse 43 says that, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, we're going to deal with this in more detail uh, in a few weeks' time because it's going to come up again. But just be aware that through the Holy Spirit, wonders and signs still happen today. But not by everyone. We don't all have that gift. In fact, it actually seems quite rare. If we take this church as an example, in in Acts chapter 2, there was over 3,000 members and, and of which there was 12 of them who had that gift. So don't get down on yourself and say, well, I mustn't have the Holy Spirit because I can't do any of these amazing things. But also, because you can't do them, don't think for a moment that they don't happen. Because our God is powerful and our God is sovereign and as God determines, signs and wonders still happen today. Sixthly, a spirit-filled church acts out of concern. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the proceeds of all, sorry, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, when some people read this, they go, ooh, that sounds an awful lot like communism, doesn't it? Ooh. Now, who'd have thought that the early church was the first experiment with communism? Well, let me say it's certainly not communism. What this is, is concern. When one of their number were doing it tough, now remember, we're talking about a church of about 3,000 people, and so there probably would have been a fair few of them doing it tough, because all of a sudden they'd gone against the, the prevailing religious culture today. A lot of them would have had, you've become a Christian? 
Right, you're not working. I'm not giving you any work anymore, you crazy weirdo. And um, and a lot of people would have been doing it tough. There's no social security. It was concern. When people were doing it tough, the others in that church would have a concern for those people because that's what fellowship does. It makes us concerned for one another and their concern translated into actions. And let me tell you, they were actions with no limits. We're pretty good with limits, aren't we? I know I'm good with limits. And... I wonder how much us putting limits on what we do limits the work of God. Their concern for their brother or sister in Christ was greater than their desire for possessions. The seventh characteristic of a spirit-filled life is daily devotion. They didn't just pray or worship or seek God's word one or two days a week it was a daily devotion and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit you'll find that one day a week to pray one day a week to worship one day a week to meet together with other Christians just won't be enough you'll be praying daily you'll be in God's word daily you'll be seeking teaching daily The eighth characteristic is praise. They praised God. Now sometimes I've heard it said, I can't praise God in that church. I know it's like they're in the dark ages. They need better songs, they need better musicians. I just can't praise God in that sort of atmosphere. You know, they're really nice people, but I just can't praise God there. That tells me that that person needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because a Spirit-filled life overflows with praise and it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't require the right atmosphere. It doesn't need the right surroundings. The Apostle Paul used to praise God even when he was in chains in a dungeon, for goodness sake. And that's what the Spirit does. He makes us into a people of praise. The next characteristic of a spirit-filled church is those who are not part of it don't really know how to take these strange spirit-filled disciples of Jesus Christ. In verse 43 it says, And awe, that means or fear, came upon every soul. The actual word is phobos, phobia, fear, came upon every soul. But then in verse 47 it says that they found favour with all the people. Now those two statements seem to not fully line up but it doesn't surprise me. When a bunch of Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit the activity of God is going to be apparent and those outside of the church will see that something's going on and they'll, be, they'll think this is really good what's going on. Look at these people. Like the, the church will be led to do good deeds. And wow! Oh, this is great. But then after a while, people begin to realise that this gospel message that goes along with these good deeds actually demands a response from them and actually puts them on the mat. Well, how are you with God? 
And so people start to get a bit filled with apprehension. And that apprehension, as we saw in the early church, it then translated into persecution. Finally, the tenth characteristic of a spirit-filled church is people were regularly being saved. Now, we've got those characteristics up there. If these are the characteristics of a spirit-filled life, I mean, to these we could add the fruits of the Spirit, but just for today's purposes, if these are the attributes of a Spirit-filled life or a Spirit-filled church, what do you reckon? How do we stack up? Are these characteristics of my life? Are these the characteristics of your life? Are these the characteristics of this church? They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having fear with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Is this describing us? Well, some of you might say, well, partly, we're a little bit like that. Some of you might be saying, no, I don't think so. But I don't think any of us would say, yep, That's written about us. That's just a mirror of us and a mirror of our church. I don't think any of us would say that. Why? What's missing? If the Holy Spirit still fills us today, and we are living in the last days, so yes, he does, and if Jesus has told us, if you ask for the Holy Spirit and keep on asking for the Holy Spirit, don't you think I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit? And if we've been asking for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, well, what's missing? Why are we not like that? Could it be that God has answered our prayer and he is filling us with his Holy Spirit but we don't allow ourselves to get carried along by the wind of the Spirit? Could that be? Let me explain. When a Christian brother or sister is in need, or a whole heap of them perhaps, and you get this inner urge, I should help them. I should help them. Where does that urge come from? Where does that urge come from? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is giving you that urge to help them. But then we think better of it. Remember I talked about limits before? We're very good at setting limits. Well, actually, that lot, they need more help than what I can give them. Because I've been taught that I I need to be responsible and the responsible thing is is to save up for a rainy day or, or for when it doesn't rain... And so we would never sell the back paddock so that we could get this bunch of Christians some tucker. We convince ourselves that's not the done thing. 
that would be reckless. And so we do extend ourselves to help people out, but only to the extent that it's not really going to make that much difference to us. The Holy Spirit has given us that urge, but we've pulled the sail down and we haven't caught the wind. Or when you're talking with somebody and you get this feeling, I should invite them to church. Or I should actually tell them about Jesus. Or actually, I need to actually put the hard word on them and tell them they need to repent of their sin. Now where does that feeling come from? And we've all had feelings like that, haven't we? Where does that feeling come from? The Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's the wind of the Spirit blowing. But then we think better of it. Uh, That's going to be really awkward for them and awkward for me and it could ruin our relationship. Mm. I know they won't appreciate it. What's happened? The Holy Spirit's given us that urge. The Holy Spirit is blowing and we've pulled the sail down. We've trodden the Holy Spirit down. Or maybe, maybe I felt I should pray more. I should pray more. That's the Holy Spirit urging you to pray. To pray more, to pray regularly for folk. But you've trodden him down again because well, I might miss my favourite TV show. Or maybe you felt this thing called koinonia, fellowship, and you felt a need to share with somebody, with another Christian on a deeper level, much deeper than friendship, to share with them. Maybe you felt that you should invite people to, to, from church to your home to share a meal with them. And where does that feeling come from? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you, urging you to do this. But then you've thought better of it. No, that's, that's invading that other person's personal space. Yeah, if I, I don't think they really want to share deep with me like what, what I'm thinking, no. Or, no, I could never invite them to my place. My home's not nice enough. Or, or my cooking's too basic. They, they, they'll be really disappointed. And, oh. and we've trodden the Spirit down. Could it be that God has answered our prayer? Could it be that God has filled us with his Holy Spirit? His Holy Spirit is living inside of us. But we've never allowed ourselves to get carried along by the wind of the Spirit. What if? What if next time we were to receive an urge of the Holy Spirit. What if we just said, well, blow it. I'm going to do it. And we just went with it. What if? What sort of church would we be then? I reckon we could look an awful lot like the church that we read about in the second chapter of Acts. Questions.
no questions. Let's pray, hey. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us to save us from our sins. Lord, we thank you that when he returned to you that he did not leave us alone but he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to be in us, to fill us. Lord, I'm just thinking it's, it's just beautiful to have this wind blowing through this place right now. Without this wind, man, it'd be hot and sweaty. And Lord, I thank you for the mighty rushing wind of your Holy Spirit that came upon that church at Pentecost. I thank you, Lord, that for your word that tells us that when we ask for your Holy Spirit and keep on asking for your Holy Spirit, that you will give us your Holy Spirit. And Lord God, I pray that we would be a people who welcome your Spirit and recognise the inner urgings that, that your Holy Spirit gives us. And Lord, that we would be willing to just say, well, hang it all. I'm just going to I'm just going to go with it. I'm going with you, Lord. Lord, when your spirit gives us an urge, Lord, I pray that we would be ready with a willingness even before that urge comes to say yes, Lord, and to become a people of action. Not just a people of belief, but a people of action. And Lord God, I pray that each one of us and us together as a church would begin to display the characteristics of a spirit-filled life. Not because we're trying harder, not because we've got some really good programs or anything like that, but Lord, simply because your spirit is in us and that is precious to us. And we're obedient to your spirit. Lord, I want to thank you for your love and your power and your persistence with us. In the name of Christ.